0: And I I read this tweet, I think it was on Monday, it was from a pastor, his name is Mark Batterson. I don't know if you know him, he's a famous pastor, I think, in D.C., Virginia, and he's written multiple books. And this was his tweet, I thought it was interesting. His tweet said, 2,000 years ago, Rome was the most powerful empire on earth. At that time, Jesus had 12 disciples and 120 followers, 2,000 years later, Caesar is a salad, while 2 billion plus people claim to follow Christ. How does that happen? That happens because the tomb is empty. That's a pretty powerful statement, is it not? That happens because the tomb is empty, and the tomb changed everything. And sometimes in life, we tell the resurrection story or we celebrate the resurrection story on Easter, and then Monday, we act like the tomb isn't empty anymore. And I think it would behoove us all that when we celebrate things like the resurrection and the fact that the tomb is empty on Easter, that it would be helpful to realize that that tomb is empty every single day of your life. That no matter what's going on in your life, that the tomb is always empty. It's always going to be empty. And that's what, that's what drives us as Christians. Amen? Amen. I also heard this story this week of these four philanthropists. And uh, these four philanthropists, they were praying about that they wanted, to, they wanted to do God's work. They wanted to do God's calling on their life, and they they wanted to make a difference in the world. And they heard about this war in a village over in Africa, and the people of the village were being invaded by a warring faction outside of their own village. And unfortunately, the warring faction won, and they took over this village, and they imprisoned all of the men in that community. And they built a prison right in the center of that community, and they imprisoned all of the men. So can you imagine the community that you've lived, you've lived in your entire life, maybe, that all of the men, all of the, the sons, the dads, the uncles, the grandparent, grandpas, they are all imprisoned right in the middle of your community, where you lived, where you grew your family, where you had your family, maybe where you had your job. And these four philanthropists, they hear about this, and they go visit this area in this prison. And, the, and they, they, the first thing they notice is they see that these men, they're, they're sli- in the prison, they're sleeping on rocks and stone tablets, and they have nothing. They're totally uncomfortable. And the first guy says, man, I wish I could, I, I'm, I'm a man of means, I have money, I would love to donate pillows and mattresses and blankets for these men so they can live in more comfort in the prison that they're in. So they go to, he goes to the, to the prison officials, and they agree, so he He provides pillows and blankets so at least they can sleep more comfortable in the prison that they're in. They also notice that the water that they're bathing in is dirty and disgusting. It it looks like chocolate milk. And not only are they bathing it, they have to drink that water. So they're constantly sick. They can't keep anything down. So the second philanthropist says, I want to donate all the water there. I want to build a well right in that prison. So he goes to the prison officials, the prison official agrees, they build a well, and now all these guys have clean water that they can bathe in, and they can drink, and they can be more healthy, and they can be more comfortable while they're in the prison. And then the third guy, he's a farmer, and he's actually from over there a couple couple hundred miles away, and he says, I have all kinds of excess food. And not only to have excess food, I want to give some of what I would normally sell. I want to provide vegetables and fruit and dairy and meat because the stuff they're eating right now is days old and it's filled with maggots and it's molding and it's disgusting. So he goes to the prison officials and he says, okay. So he provides all this stuff. So now these guys have nutritious meals that at least they can be a little more comfortable and a little more, they, they, they can be more full and be a little more nutritional as they're living in their prison. And the fourth guy, this guy, man, he really knew, what he was a saint. He was really on it. And this fourth guy, he does something that's really interesting. He tells these guys, he's like, I have a gift for you. He's like, I'm going to go get the keys to your prison. And he goes to get the keys to the prison, and he unlocks every single prison door, and they all walk out. And they go back to their families, they go back to their communities, and they go back to living the life that God has called them to live. So why do I tell you that story? Here's why I tell you that story. Because I think many times, even as Christians, we're living in some sort of prison of sorts. And what are we doing when we're trying to what do we try- what do we do when we're in that prison of sorts? We're just trying to be a little more comfortable while we continue to reside in that prison. Maybe I need a new car. Maybe I need a bigger house. Maybe I need a nicer watch. Maybe I'm going to go to a fancier place to eat. Maybe I'm going to go to a nicer vacation. We add this, we add that, just so we can be a little more comfortable And we as Christians, we forget. We forget we have the keys. We have the keys to freedom. We have the keys to living out what God has called us to do. And sometimes we're in this prison, right? We're maybe in the prison of our minds, We're in the prison of our perceived circumstance. We're in the prison of my life just isn't going right. We're in the prison of fear or anxiety. We're in the prison of nobody loves me. We're in the prison of nobody even sees me. It's like I'm invisible. But we as Christians, we have to understand that we have the keys we literally have the keys. This living, breathing word of God provides everything we need. And this morning, I'm going to talk about experiencing God. Experiencing Christ. Because we're all in the same boat at some point. Where some, every once in a while, we think to ourselves, you know what? My life isn't all it's cracked up to be. Or maybe... There's a huge gap between what I thought my life was going to be like and where my life currently is right now. And even us as Christians sometimes, right? None of us are immune to this. And even if as Christians, we say, man, or we hear somebody's testimony. Ten years ago, I had this experience with God. Fifteen years ago, I had this experience with God. 20 years ago, I had this encounter with God. And that's great. But what about today? What about tomorrow? Because the story that you tell about that experience with God 20 years ago, if that's your only experience, you know, I'll give you this it makes for a pretty good story. It makes for a pretty good story probably doesn't make for a life well lived, but we have the keys to experience God on a daily basis, day after day. It's, n- it's not a one-and-done proposition. It's not like we were at the, you know, I don't know, the, 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 the meat counter when, and our number was called and that's it. We don't, we don't have it until the next time we decide to go back. Right. We have this available every single day. And even coming to church here this morning. Hey, some of us just come to church because it's the right thing to do. And it is. Or we come to church because I just want to be a really good Christian. And I want to show up at church. But Christianity isn't about a religion. Christianity is about a relationship. And you don't come here for a church experience. I mean, in some sense, you do. But you don't necessarily come here for church experience. You shouldn't be coming here for, you know, to serve the church in some sense, or to build a friendship, or to have a relationship with even the pastor. Because sooner or later, all of those things, all of those things are going to disappoint you. So, all those good things, and they're good things. But the key is an experience with Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one person who created you. An easy definition of experiencing God is you have a relationship with the creator of the world. Or maybe even more specific, you have a relationship with the creator of you. Who knows you better than the person that created you who loves you more who knows more about you who cares more about you than the person that created you amen, amen. John 17:3 says and this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent we have to have a relationship with God. There's a big difference. There's a big difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Yeah. Amen. There's a big difference between knowing about God, knowing about the things of God, and actually knowing God, knowing the true living God. And we're going to talk about some of those things today. And here, here, are three questions that I would say that that are important life questions. Do you know where God is working? Do you know what are His purposes? And do you know what are His ways? If you can answer those questions, you're going to have a pretty good relationship with Jesus Christ. You're going to have a pretty good idea of what he has called you to do and why he's called you to do it. The title of my message this morning is The Seven Truths of Experiencing God. The Seven Truths of Experiencing God. It is awfully quiet in here this morning. It is awfully quiet in here this morning. And these seven truths probably just got quieter because you're used to a three, you know, three points and I got seven. Well, pa- Well, all I can say is, Pastor Matt's not here so I can do whatever I want to do. I'm just kidding. But I'll, in full disclosure, these seven points are not my points. I don't know if you've ever heard of a, uh, a man by the name of Henry Blackaby. Anybody heard of Henry Blackaby? Well, he is, he's a, a pastor. Um, I don't even know where he's a pastor. But anyway, he, he's written all kinds of books. I've listened to all kinds of his sermons. He, did a, he wrote a book called Experiencing God. And there was a workbook that was attached to that, Experiencing God. And these are the seven points in this workbook. And I probably did that Bible study probably, man, it was probably 25 years ago. And it is one of the things that radically changed my life. And I've probably done the Bible study three or four times since then. But these seven things I think about all the time. And I think to myself, man, when something's not going right in my life, or maybe I'm not hearing from God the way I think I should, it's usually because I have one of these seven things messed up, or I'm not following one of these seven things. So number one. God is always at work around you. God is always at work around you. John chapter 5, verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. Dropping down to 19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Just in these few verses, who is at work here? The Father. What can the Son do by himself? Nothing. What does the Son actually do? Only what he sees the Father do. This this is the essence of our Christian life. God is always at work. One of the great questions that Christians always ask, and I ask this too, one of the great questions Christians always ask is what is God's will for my life? It sounds like a pretty familiar question, does it not? What is God's will for my life? I've asked that too many times. And here's what I would say about that question. The question of what is God's will for my life sounds like a powerful question. Here's what I would have you think about this morning. It's actually the wrong question. And questions are great, but there's a problem with questions. Because if you ask the wrong question, you get the wrong answer. But here's the right question. The right question is, What is God's will? If I ask the question, what is God's will, and I know what God's will is, then I know where to be. Then I know where to go. Then I know what to do. When we find out what God's will is, then we run after that. And God is always working. You may not see that or think that, but God is always working. I'll give you an example that's probably the most, maybe one of the most applicable examples that I can give you. God is always working. And sometimes it doesn't make sense and it probably shouldn't make sense because if it makes sense, that means you're out in front of God and you should never be out in front of God. But here's the example I'll give you. And Pastor Matt <clears throat> loves to tell the story. You hard heard this. Pastor Matt loves to tell the story that we were, when we were serving at the previous church we were at, that I was his boss for probably like eight or nine years. And now that we're here, he is my boss. I think, I'm assuming that was a sympathy, sympathy laugh. But here's why I give that example. When Pastor Matt and I were at the other church serving and I was his boss, right? We went through lots of things together, right? When you're on a church staff and your pastors together, there, there's, lots, there's, there's lots of things that go on that most people would never understand in, in about a billion years, right, Pastor Guy? So you build a relationship. You go through good times and bad times, up and down, and Pastor Matt and I were just serving at this church. Do you think we had in mind this church? Probably not. I mean, he might have. But my point is, for all those years, God was working. God was working. And you know what God was working on those many, many years ago? God was behind the scenes working on for what's going on at this place right now. Right now. Did we see that at a time? No. Trust me, if I would have saw that, I would have been running away. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine what it's like to work for Pastor Matt? You should probably opt out of comedy on this one. (laughs) Right? And here's how life works sometimes. During that time... And I take this as a comp. I I give this as a compliment to Pastor Matt. I literally told him one day while he was working for me, because he was always, right? You know, Pastor Matt, he's extreme, right? He was always going for it, right? Nothing was ever good enough. He was always pushing the envelope, pushing the limits with all great things, right? And I literally told him one day, I'm like, dude, I'm like, there is one person in this entire world that I would never work for. I literally told him that. I literally told him. And I said, you know who that is? I said, that's you. That's you. But I meant it as a compliment because that guy, right, when he's got his mind on something, right, he's a hard worker. And I said, you'd work me to death. And I said, I made a career, in my opinion, I made a career in the corporate world as I would just simply outwork you. But there was like one guy that I can't outwork. And that's Pastor Matt. But that's a long-winded story. Say, God is always working. And does it make sense? Probably not. Will it make sense? If you're following God's will, it will make sense. And then you'll look back and you'll say, holy cow, that's what God was doing the entire time. I didn't even see that coming. Number two, God pursues a love relationship with you that is real and personal. Matthew twenty two thirty seven thirty eight. 38, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord God, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Question to ask yourself, can you describe your relationship with God by sincerely saying, I love you, God, with all my heart? This is one of those things that if you truly get that question right, the rest of this stuff just works itself out. Can you really answer the question, God, I love you with all my heart? Doubling down on that, if if that question is not settled in your heart, if that question is not settled in your day-to-day life, being not all that God's called you to be is really, really, really hard. It's going to be really hard. Everything in your Christian life, everything about knowing Him and experiencing Him, everything about knowing His will depends on the quality of your love relationship with Him. Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20. This day... I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. For the Lord is your life. And I know we get caught up in the rat race of life. And you got to get to that meeting, that appointment, that job on time, that, that whatever it is on, that, on the day. I mean, you need, you need to start with your relationship with Christ. If you start your day off with communicating to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that's the way to start your day. You know, you've heard the old old saying, don't just stand there, do something. Right? You've heard that. Well, sometimes we need to say to ourselves, don't just do something, stand there. Meaning, wait till God tells you to do something. Wait for God to give you direction. But you you have to have a relationship with God for those things. Number three, God invites you to become involved with him and his work. God will always invite you to be involved with him and his work. When God was about to judge the world, he went to Noah. When God was about to build a nation for himself, he went to Abraham. When God heard the cry of the children of Israel and decided to deliver them, he came to Moses. When God decided to build a church in this community, he came to Pastor Matt. God is always inviting people, always inviting you. You have a constant invitation to be a part of what God is doing. And if you don't know what that is, I will give you a quick tip, a quick tip. Pray, pray, and then watch what God does next. Not what you do next. What he does next. Pray and then watch what God does next. Number four. I told you I was going to go through these fast. Number four. God speaks. John 8 47. Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. If as a Christian, you do not know when God is speaking, again, your Christian life is going to be really, really, really hard. And it's not so much of how God speaks. It's that, in fact, he does speak. And many of us, we say, God doesn't speak to me. I need him to speak loud. I need him to scream at me. If he was screaming at you, you wouldn't listen anyway and he's probably not going to scream at you. Remember that still, small voice. God can speak to you in a myriad of ways. When you come to church, when you're praying, when you're reading the Bible, the fact that God does in fact speak, and he speaks on a daily basis, is the important thing. And God always speaks specific and direct for what your next step is. He's never going to lay out the entire plan, but he will speak to you in a way that's specific and direct for what he wants you to do in this moment. In this moment. And many times as Christians, many times as Christians, we make the mistake of doing what God told us to do instead of what God is telling us do. And there's a big difference between what God told you to do and what God is telling you to do in this moment. God may have told you something miraculous, incredible, 20 years ago. It may not be what he's telling you to do right now. And I'll give you a great example out of the Bible in the book of Genesis, when Abraham God tells Abraham to sacrifice, to kill his one and only son. Remember that story? It says, go up to the mountain and sacrifice your son to me. That's what God told Abraham to do. Man, it's a great thing when God tells you to do something, right? No matter what it is. And God told Abraham to do that. So Abraham goes up on the mountain and he's ready to sacrifice his son. Now again, God told him to do this. But many times we're so focused on what God told us to do that we can't hear what God is telling us to do. If Abraham, if Abraham did what God told him to do, what would he have done? He would have killed his son. But Abraham had a relationship, and he was always listening and always knowing that God was at work, that he had enough sense in that moment And he was always listening for God. That he was able to hear what God was telling him in that moment. And God made other provisions so that his son would live. There's a big difference between what God told you to do and what God is telling you to do. And the moment God speaks to you is always God's timing. The moment God speaks to you is always God's timing. My best advice to you is when God speaks, respond immediately. Respond immediately. Number five, crisis of belief. God's invitation to you always leads to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. And this might be my favorite one of all because this is the one that I believe most like puts the ball in my court. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Because sooner or later, I'm going to come as we all are. We are going to come to a crisis of belief. What are you going to do? This is where faith and action meet. And we're good at the faith part, right? Right? Man, we are champions of the faith. We can say in almost any situation. Yeah, I have faith for that. I have faith that I'm going to do that. I have faith that God's going to come through. But then, when it comes to the action part, that's where we kind of screw it up. And this is where this crisis of belief. This is man. This is where we need to be at our best. This is where I think our life demands our best. In this crisis of belief, I, most of you know or some of you know that I coach high school baseball in the spring, which is now, and we had a game a couple weeks ago, and it, it's interesting. You never know what's going to come out of the mouth of a 17- or 18-year-old kid, especially when there's like a time of crisis or adversity. So in high school baseball, we only play seven innings. So our pitcher's out there. It's one to nothing. It's the bottom of the sixth inning, so it's like crunch time, Right? We're winning one-nothing. The other team has bases loaded and nobody out, all right? So I go out to the mound, and the pitcher kind of walks down to the mound, and it's one of my pet peeves. I hate when the pitcher, like, walks to the end. It's just, like, own the mound, right? So I I walk out there, and I said, first of all, I said, stand up on the mound and act like you own it. (laughs) Act like you own it. And he says, don't. Don't don't take me out until I get in trouble. I said, what? He said, Don't take me out until I get in trouble. And sometimes you're like, you're like, holy cow. And I'm like, I'm like, dude. I look at him right now. I'm like, dude. It is one to nothing. In the bottom of the sixth inning, I may have been talking louder, but it's one to nothing. In the bottom of the sixth inning, the bases are loaded. You just walked the last guy. There there, there are no outs. You're in trouble. I said, as a matter of fact, you couldn't be in any worse trouble right now. And I said, and they know this phrase of mine because I try to use the same phrases over and over again. I said, right now, I said, right now, I need your best. I need your best right now. You're always talking about how good you are. You're always talking about how good you are. I need your best right now. And they're all looking at me like, and I was like, guys, it, this is why you play. You, you don't play baseball to stretch your arm out. You don't play baseball to lift weights. You don't, play, you don't play baseball to throw some bullpen sessions. You don't play baseball to ice your arm after you're done. I said, it's bases loaded. Nobody out. The bottom of the sixth. This is why you play. This is why you play. But we're always going to come to a crisis of belief where the situation is going to be similar. Man, this is why I'm a Christian. This is why I'm fighting to find out what God's will is. This is why I'm finding to find what my what God's calling is for my life. We're always going to come to a crisis of belief. And the way you live your life, that's your testimony. Not that God showed up 20 years ago. Man, I don't know about you, and I'm not disrespecting that God showed up 20 years ago in your life. I'm not. But I don't serve a God that that, that showed up for me 20 years ago. Man, I serve a God that's showing up for me right now and tomorrow and the next day. That's the God that I serve. That's the God that you serve. That's the God that created you. The, the God that created you, create, created you for that moment, that moment of belief that you need to decide which way are you going to choose. Every assignment God gives you will give you require a new measure of faith. Number six. And the end of that baseball story, it didn't work out. The next guy got a hit and we lost, so. <laughs> Save you from asking me after service what happened. Number six. This is one of my favorites, too. You must make adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing. You must make adjustments in your life to join what God is doing, And it's probably not going to be comfortable. You're probably going to need to utilize the keys of whatever prison is holding you back. You're probably going to have to lean on God. You're probably going to have to lean on your faith. You're going to have to make an adjustment. You cannot stay where you are. And go with God. And most of us, man, we are so passionate about a calling. We're so passionate about an assignment for God. We're not very excited about making any adjustments. Most times we have to make adjustments. And this is a constant learning. Trust trust me, my kids and mostly my daughter, there'll be many times that they'll see me, I guess, maybe dealing with something or frustrated about something. You know what they'll say? Dad, make an adjustment. Make an adjustment. What you're doing ain't working. And what you're doing, if you keep doing the same thing, but still ain't going to work. But we don't, we're not interested in in making any adjustments. And here's what I'll say, what the Bible says about that. The Bible basically says that not making an adjustment is actually biblically impossible. Because every time in this Bible God called somebody to do something, they had to make an adjustment. Noah building the ark couldn't continue to live his normal life and build that ark. Abraham couldn't stay in his homeland and father a nation. Moses couldn't stay on the backside of the desert and do what he did. David had to leave his sheep to become a king. Peter, Andrew, James, John had to leave their fishing business to follow him. Right, and these guys, the disciples, what did many of them do? They they, on on two words, follow me. that's That's what they went on. They stepped out in faith. They made an adjustment, they gave up their living. Number seven. You come to know God by experience as you obey Him and He accomplishes His work through you. Remember, it's his will. His will, not your will. John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Obedience, we talked about loving God at the beginning. Obedience is really the one true expression of the outworking expression of really loving God. Am I going to be obedient to Him and His Word? And the reward, the reward of obedience is God will continue to reveal Himself to you. And we, He will continue to reveal things to you. First John chapter 2, 3 and 6. Now by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also also to walk, just as he walked. This is the moment of truth. Will I obey God? Come on will i obey god like i said at the beginning man this is a relationship all everything in this book is true these spiritual truths that we're talking about these biblical truths they're not up they're not up really up for discussion they're not up to say do i agree with this or do i not agree it doesn't really matter whether you agree with them or not agree with them spiritual truths work like the law of gravity. You don't have to agree with the law of gravity. We can debate all day long about the law of gravity, whether you agree with it or not, but if you get on the top of this building and you jump, guess what's going to happen? You're going to believe in the law of gravity. You will never be satisfied about just knowing God. You can memorize Scripture for the rest of your life, and know about God. But in order to live this life that's all that God has called us to be, we need to know Him because we need daily direction. Lord, I need you to speak to me now. That time 10 years ago that you spoke to me then, that was great then. You know what that's done for me today? Nothing. I need a new fresh word now. And then tomorrow, I'm going to need something else. Because i got nothing to offer. i got nothing to give. I'm going to try to connect myself with your will, not my will. When I know your will, I'm going to get there as fast as I can. And there's a difference between a religious person and a relationship person here's what I would leave you this today and then we're going to worship our way out of here this morning to the king of kings here's the difference between a religious person and a relationship person someone who really has a relationship with Jesus Christ when God speaks they know it's God When God speaks, they know it's God. Number two, when God speaks to you, you know what God is actually saying. And number three, when God speaks to you, you know what to do in response. And I believe this morning that we have a church filled with people, filled with people, that are on the constant life quest of knowing God, knowing when he speaks, and knowing what to do in response when he speaks to us.